Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. We've been, we started a series, not a series, a thought on Friday. It won't become a series. It was just an interruption of the Lord in our schedule of studies with a thought which was based upon a word that God gave me when I was in a color at two o'clock in the morning that God said to me I will lift your head I felt it was not a word not just for me but a word for everybody amen that God wants to to lift our head and we said that in Psalm 3 uh, verse 3 that God is called the lifter of our head But in Psalm 27, verse 4, um, he says, we must lift our heads. Lift up your heads, O you gates. So in the one psalm, there's an instruction for you to lift up your head. But in the other psalm, Psalm 3, it says, God is the lifter of my head. And I said to you, you must draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. When does God draw near to you? When you draw near to God. So human actions determine divine response. If I draw near, he draws near. Remember 2 Chronicles 4, 7.14? If my people that are called by my name, humble themselves, seek my face, then, everyone say then. So then you get the divine, then will I hear from heaven, then will I come and then will I heal their land. So God always waits for human initiative for him to respond in a particular way. For example, humble yourself. God says, I will lift you up. When will God lift? When he sees you activate humility. If you activate humility, the Lord will, 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 will respond. And so in this context, you activate God as the lifter of your head when you personally adopt a lifted up head posture. Right? So the expectation and what we are teaching is a prophetic word that you must learn the discipline of what it is to function in life with a lifted up head. Because if that is your posture, it's going to activate something in God as the lifter of your head. Okay? There's an interplay of two processes at work here. Okay? An interplay of two uh, processes. The one activating the, the other. God always looks for himself in the earth in a man. God always looks to the earth and looks to find aspects that are akin to him. So when he sees you in the earth manifesting something that's inherent to his nature, there's something in God that awakens and responds to that upon, upon the earth. Amen? And so Abraham gives his tithe to Melchizedek in Genesis, what's it, 14? Okay, in Genesis 15... God says to him, and the Bible says, after these things, in other words, after his obedience to tithe, God says, the the word of the Lord came to Abram, saying, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. 
right? And the word reward there in the Hebrew speaks of remuneration. God gave Abram an open blank check, right? When God saw in Abram, this man is acting like me because I'm a giving God. So this man is giving on the earth. God then in the very next chapter says to him, you've, you've, you've touched a nerve in me, God. So when I see you give, now God says to you, now there's nothing I will withhold from you. Remember when he gave his only son, Isaac, when he sacrificed him. The Bible says, God said to him, now that I've seen what's in your heart, I swear by myself that you will indeed become a father of many nations. There's always something that's in us, that God, of himself, that God wants to see. And when those things, they're like things that trigger aspects in God, that really, really activates um, aspects of his nature towards us. But I want to encourage you, you must demonstrate that. Okay? You must showcase the nature of God in your world. And when he looks from the heavens at his son on the earth, he must be saying, see, there goes my son. He's behaving just like me. But in his behavior, in aspects that are just like me, it's provoking me to manifest that same dynamic in his world to a greater and more powerful way. Amen? So, he's the lifter of your head, but he's waiting for you to lift up your head. You lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. And when does the king come in? He says, then shall the king of glory come in. So the kingly entrance demands a lifted up head posture. Right? So I want to encourage you, lift up the head that hangs down. Right? Lift it up. Right? And be lifted up your everlasting doors. We, we spoke to several principles, which, um, let me just quickly go to the headings, Liam. Um, we're not going to go through each of these. I want to get to where we left off. We said, um, what do the gates represent? If you are to lift up your heads, oh, you gates... Uh, what, what we did in this first part is we looked at gates and what do, what do gates represent in the word and what are the prophetic principles attendant with the imagery of gates in the scripture. Firstly, we said gates represent the family of God comprised of sons fathered by an apostolic spiritual father. So gates is a reference to Zion, the church, which is us, a family Constructed by the principle of fathers and sons. Spiritual father over the house, connected to an apostolic fathering source, right? And my job, for example, as spiritual father, is to mature you as divine sons in relationship to your, to your heavenly father. So tell your, your neighbor again, you are the gate of God. You are the gate of God. Jacob had this revelation in Genesis 28. He said, this is the house of God. This is the gate to the heaven. Right? Uh, hence, when you come to gather on a Sunday morning, you're gathering to a portal. You're gathering to a gate, access point to the heavens. This is not like, change your mind about normal church. It's not about meeting and having a two-hour service. You're positioning yourself. The corporate church is a portal to another realm, to another world. An access point. So lift up that head. Lift up that dynamic. This is what the scripture is saying. Lift up in your mind that capacity to open up to another realm. Right? Lift that up. Lift up your heads, oh, you gates, so that this access to the things unseen, 
will grow and become more profound, more practical, more experiential in your world. Okay? Then secondly, we said, it speaks of this portal to the realms of the eternal. Thirdly, we spoke about it's a defensive mechanism, barring intrusion of alien threatening elements. Gatekeepers, everyone say gatekeeper. Right? And I spoke to you about keeping your, your gates to your life. Right? The eye gate, the ear gate, things that you allow or disallow. It's very important that you be vigilant as to what you allow into your life. Right? Um, because what you allow will either advantage you or disadvantage you. And gatekeepers who were responsible for the safety and the well-being of the, of the city. And there was a, a wonderful promise in Isaiah. Uh, next slide. In Isaiah 28, verse 6, it, the latter part says that God will be a strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. You never allow the battle to get into the city. In Old Testament times, if you won the gate, you won the, the city. So you've got to be strong where? Not in the city. You've got to be strong at the gate. And God will be a strength to anyone who has the capacity to turn back the battle where? At the gate. Right? At the gate. So you've got to be, everyone say vigilant. Speaks of great vigilance. Do not be fooled into thinking that you can court carnality and it's not going to have a lasting impact in your life. Don't be deceived by these things. Take a firm stand and say, no, that battle is trying to find entry and intrusion into my family. I repel the battle at the gate. And God says, for those who do that, I will be a strength to them. That's for your family. That's for your wife. Watch over the affairs of your, of your children. Watch over the affairs of your own life. Watch over the affairs of this corporate congregation. Okay? If in this house you sense intrusion of an alien force to threaten the culture of this family, as a son you should rise up and say, like Jesus did, he drove up the, the, the money changes, remember? He says, you make my father's house a house of thieves, but it is written, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. So what did the son do? He keeps saying, my father's house, my father's house. So the son is passionate about the culture of the house of his of his father. And Jesus drove out the money changers because they attempted to abuse and misrepresent what the house should be. So what is it essentially doing? He came, I mean, he came into the temple and he was angry and he saw this. Right? So if Jesus were alive at the start of that process, I guarantee you those money changers would not even been allowed into the temple. You'd have stood at the door, at the gate, and says, I repel you. Because you're coming in to abuse the culture. Or misrepresent the, the culture of the house. So it is true for any one of us. We must... Why, why, why are these things important? Because you are here. You have a vested interest. Right? You, have, you have vested interest that the house, the house be healthy, that the purposes of the Lord attendant with the house are accomplished. Amen? That nothing be aborted. And so it's not just the fact that you are loyal and that your father's priority ranks high in your mind. So I act to keep the purpose of my father strong in the house. It's not just about that. You also act because 
you yourself are part of the house. So you don't allow viruses. You repel them where? At the door. You repel them where? At the gate. Howie said something years ago when he, we first met Howie. And you know, it was, for those of you who knew him at that stage, it was very strong, the sonship, sonship message, fathering and sonship. And, and he said this. He said that um, there are certain things he doesn't even get to know about. And sometimes he'll only get to know of, about it years after it's happened. Why? A son in the house took initiative to deal with the issue, to rectify it, because an alien element was coming in to dilute the culture of what he was trying to build. And a son took the initiative and dealt with it. This is when a son acts on behalf of his father. And this is not being uh, 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 harsh or vindictive. All you're doing, you are committed to divine purpose. That's all you're doing. And that ranks strong. I mean, was, was Jesus serious? He was almost violent to an extent. He fashioned a whip. Right? He didn't buy a whip. He didn't go down to the store. He sat down. I just can if I was dramatizing this in a movie, I picture him sitting down on some box, getting the stuff together, weaving stuff. And the gospel says he, he fashioned. He put the whip. This was a unique whip for these money changes. There were people monetizing the message. And he said, wow, I fashioned my response to this. Right? And he wasn't offended, or rather he wasn't concerned for offense. I want to say it again. He wasn't concerned for offense. He was concerned for his father's purpose. Right? You, 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 you are, I will be more prone and willing to offend a brother to preserve purpose than to be pally-pally with my brother and purpose is aborted. Say that again. Please hear with your spirit. I will be more willing, listen carefully, if you are in error, I will talk to you and address you, especially if you are violating the teachings that our Father has espoused. I will be more willing to come to my brother in love and in with redemption, with a view to rehabilitating and rectifying him. The Bible says, he who shows his brother the error of his way has won a soul. Right? And so, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Right? So, the, the absence of love would say, let me leave this little ride because I want to maintain. I don't want to address Lillian because uh, there, there might be relational tension based on how she receives this. Right? But the thing left undealt with potentially will threaten the purpose with the house, if it's so, if it's so serious of, of 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 in nature, right? But I would rather take the courage to talk to my brother, even at the expense of losing him, if he or she does not appropriately respond to my redemptive correction. I would rather take that chance, rather than on the other extreme to leave it. And to, to, to let that error grow, multiply, and potentially abort the purposes of God attendant with the house. Okay? And I'll talk more to that. So I really want to encourage you. Everyone say, gatekeepers, lift up your heads. Right? You're a keeper of the gate. Are you your brother's keeper? Yes, you are. Right? Uh, that's what the Abel said to the Lord, am I? Or rather, Cain, am I my, my brother's keeper? Right? Yes, he was. Right? So we keep each other, we watch each other, we watch over the 
the household, and we go on in the purposes of the Lord. Amen. Then we said, just quickly, point five. Oh, sorry, I left out point five. That was a mistake there. In my notes, if you want to take this down, I, don't, I didn't correct these um, slides. But um, the aspect, let me just mention it now. Everyone say wisdom. wisdom. Proverbs says that wisdom cries out at the gates. Right? Wisdom shouts and she cries out at the, at the gates. So gates also depict a wise disposition. Wisdom. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. The Lord is saying... Lift up the elements or the disposition or the, the principle or the skill of a wise mind and a wise heart. I want to say to all of us present this morning, think more wisely. Calculate your steps before making serious decisions. Do something differently. Do it more wiser. Jesus, the Bible says, has become to us the wisdom of God. Consult the Lord for his wisdom. He's able, he's a wise God. Not so? In Peter it says, Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, the only wise God, be glory, honor, power, and majesty, dominion now and for forever. But God, Peter says, unto this God, the only wise God. And if you lack wisdom, James says, ask for wisdom, and, and if, if you don't doubt in your heart, God, who is positioned to give wisdom lavishly, will give it to you. Okay? And I think we all need wisdom, don't we? Your prayer daily should be, Lord, make me more wiser. Right? And I'm saying you can work hard, but you must work also wise. Okay? So, who needs more wisdom? Say, so Lord, just make me more, more wiser. Give me, you know, give me the skill. Give me, give me wisdom. Sakal, remember? Give me sakal. Give me a wise mind like Solomon did. Breath of mind. So I can think beyond what I'm normally accustomed to. Give me skill. Help me do things far more efficiently than I'm normally accustomed to doing them. And then we looked at Gates as the venue for business and commerce. We spoke much about that. Seventhly, quickly, let's go. Uh, Gates as strategic places of influence. Um, and that we release some huge prophecies concerning this. Please, if you were not here, you will hear it on the CD when you get the CD. Point number eight. Gates also as, an, as accurate positioning and function for spouses in the marriage. This was a serious point that we raised. I want, to I want to encourage you. Observe biblical protocol in your marriage. This woman's virtuous woman in Proverbs 31 her works praise her at the gates. But her husband sits with the elders at the gate. Both spouses have representation where? At the, at the gates. Okay? And I said one, is a, one feeds into the other. This man assumes his headship. He's a leader. He leads his family. Right? And he's known in the gates. Her works praise her. His wife's works Praise her in the, in the gates. And so it's an interplay of two processes happening almost simultaneously that when, 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 when there's proper order observed in the home, husband head over the wife, all subjected to, to Christ, 
um, and he occupies his mandate as a leader in that city, sitting as an elder at the, in the seat at the gate, influencing culture of that city, making decisions at the gate that influence the entirety of his, of his city. <coughs> Excuse me. So he takes his role, he's fulfilling a mandate, activates his wife in terms of her industrious and efficient work at home and in business. You see this, Proverbs 31, he's not just a wifely, some domestic person that takes care of business at home, but he's a strong business principles attendant with her life. Okay? And the Bible says, she's so good, she's so successful, her works even praise her at the gates. Point being, this wife's works does not bring the husband who is at the gate into disrepute. Instead, what she does privately already galvanizes, supports, and takes his function at the gates to another level. Can you picture this man sitting at the gate and he speaks? He's, let's say he makes a suggestion. Let's pass a bylaw for our city life for all the inhabitants. Guess what? All the other men know there. You're saying this, your, your words have weight because your wife's works are known in the city. And so the one feeds into the other. And I spoke to you, no more is one going to ride on the reputation of the other. Both feed into the success of the other. Okay? So I encourage spouses, take your rightful position. Okay? Don't hang on the good reputation of your husband. Don't hang on the good reputation of your wife. Don't be parasitic in terms of, listen carefully, say something very important. Don't adopt a husbands and wives. Don't adopt a parasitical mindset in that you say to yourself, I will not make sacrifices spiritually. But I will ride on what my, the other spouse is doing to get us as, a, as, as family ahead. No, it's joint responsibility. It's joint uh, accountability. Right? And so her works praise him at the gates. He, as a leader at the gates, is an encouragement to his wife's works at home. And both of them mutually derive benefit from each other's focused determination in executing the purposes of God. Amen? It's like, you know, I just see couples standing at a new place of vigor, both strong in the Lord. Not one weak and one strong. Both strong. And you will see it will take the level of anointing to another degree. Peter says, both access grace. I quote the verse to you. Both are participants of the grace of life. Right? So husbands live with your wives in a considerate fashion, he says, as with someone weaker. Honor her, he says, so that you are both participants of the grace of life, lest, lest, a very serious verse, lest your prayers become hindered. Right? You can pray until you blue black in the face, but if divine protocol in marriage is not observed, it hinders prayer power. Amen? So we're taking our prayer thrust even as a couple to another level. Amen? And I want to encourage couples, pray together. It is startling to me how couples don't pray together. You don't know how to harness the power that you already have in your home. Opposite is true. If it's negated, you don't know how you are neutralizing and aborting 
what could be potentially yours in the spirit. Okay? So, it, will couples stand together? Stand together. Stand strong. Right? Let your private personal devotion <coughs> excuse me, bring benefit to the other spouse. Right? Don't ride parasitically one on the other. <coughs> Somebody open that for me, please. But each one of them, each spouse must be focused in terms of their own part to bring the other into greater advantage. Amen? Hallelujah. Next point. This was amazing to me. That Boaz is seating in the gate to redeem Boaz, to redeem Ruth, sorry, was his final act culminating in a series of obedient acts on Ruth's behalf. Everyone say final act. Please, this is not a teaching per se. I want to remind you these are prophetic thoughts. You can fault me homiletically, hermeneutically on these principles. I'm not teaching as we normally do. I'm giving you a prophetic thought of what God is saying to us. The prophecy is this. The king's about to come into this congregation in a brand new way. The king's about to come into your world in a brand new way. The king's about to come into your marriage and your home and the life of your kids in a brand new way. Now is not the time for depression. Now is not the time for, for being downcast. Now is the time for focused vigilance. Lift up the head. right? Assume your position. Because God says, yes, I am called lifter of the head, but I'm waiting to see that in you before it activated in me. Right? Waiting to see that dynamic. And I just know, I want to remind you again, when God gave me this thought, this was on Friday afternoon only, this particular point, that God said to me, you've been obedient in a number of areas, in sequential form, in series, and now I'm ready to sit as Boaz at the gate to do something final for you in the present phase of your journey. Right? For, for in Ruth's context, it was the buying back of, 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 of the field that belonged to Elimelech, who was now deceased. Right? And Ruth's life changed, listen carefully, in one sitting of the gate. I don't know what time of the day, let's say it was the afternoon. One meeting, one sitting at the gate, changed Ruth, and I mentioned to you on Friday, in a whole lot of different dynamics. A life changed forever. Never ever to be the same again. Right? It's like God closed the door on the past and He opened the door to a brand new future. Tell your neighbor God's about to open doors. I really see open doors. I, I, I checked up a whole lot of... Uh, I'll release a teaching to you maybe in two weeks time or so, a spin-off after this, that the Lord's going to open the door. And I had to revisit a a word that God lodged in my heart when we started this church about God has set before us an open door. And to remind myself, I called up a whole lot of images of open door, which I've saved on my computers now. I told you I like to use images to remind me because an open door means we're going to go through another realm. Brand new phase. Amen. So I want to encourage you. Uh, Some of you have just been walking up to closed doors. Boom, 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 boom. Right? God is saying, no, no, the door is about to, I'm about to open. Because I'm about to enact a final phase 
of redemptive process for the era that you are in. Not era, era, E-R-A. For the time span that you are in right now. Amen. As I want to encourage you, encourage you with that. Amen. Uh, Lift up the head. I hope from Friday no one is walking with head hanging down. Uh, Illegal now in this congregation to walk like this. Nobody should walk like this in the house. Heads lifted high. Ladies, heads lifted high. Lift up your heads, O you gates, you church, you Zion. For the King of glory is about to come in. Observe all these principles. Put them in place. You see, you can adopt this posture. You can walk in here physically with your head lifted up. But if you haven't internalized all of the principles that we've mentioned, it's pointless. I'm saying adopt a physical posture uh, on top of your enactment obediently of the issues we've mentioned. So you're appropriating something in the spirit as what is true of obedience in your life. Amen? And then that is powerful. Let's go on. Yeah, this is where we're going to kick off from. Gates also represent entry into a new realm. This point keeps coming up. Eh? But since the primary function of a gate was to provide entry, gates can symbolize entry into a new realm. So if you were outside the city walls and you entered to the gates, let's say you were in the desert and you see a city and you, you go in. Your entrance through the gate means an entrance into another environment different context something brand new right and the way in which it's used in the bible for example we read in genesis 28 17 of the gate of heaven what's the gate of heaven the church it says this is the house of god the house of god is the gate of heaven in job 38 psalm 9 and 107 you will read the phrase the gates of death So to enter death, you've got to go to the gates of death. Again, gates represent entry into an experience. Everyone say experience. That's not a better word. We should have put that word, not realm. It's entry into an experience, into a quality of life. Or in this case, death. Gates of righteousness. Gates of shoal or hell. In Isaiah 38, um, uh, Marion shared the verse this morning on the group, the gates of praise. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. So gates of thanksgiving. We should put up that up as a principle. I'll add it to my notes. Thank you for that. Everyone say thanksgiving. So lift up your heads, oh you gates. And if gates in scripture depict thanksgiving, what should you do to your level of thanksgiving? Should raise it. Gratitude. Everyone say gratitude. Right? Stop complaining, but instead of complaints, substitute the spirit of murmur for the spirit of gratitude. Right? What does, this, what does the, the, the hymn writer says? Count your blessings, name them one by one. It will actually surprise you what the Lord has, what the Lord has done. I spoke to some of the folk in Zimbabwe for at length last night to encourage them in the Lord. And my heart was really sad. After I, I put the phone down, I was like literally saddened at their state. I'm saying, and I, I went into prayer and I said, Lord, breakthrough. 
for those in Mutare. Just break through. Um, just, just manifest yourself. Alleviate the, the stress. Alleviate the anxieties. And the Lord said to me, then, then I realized the things that I sometimes tend to complain about is nothing compared to some of the hardships they are experiencing. You only see the, the unfoundedness of your murmur when you put it against another person's experience. Right? You take for granted certain things. Okay? In Tanzania, we had our slice of dry bread, sweet potato, and a cup of black coffee for breakfast every day. You know when I got back Sunday morning, an egg never looked better to me in my whole life. And now I'm grateful for eggs. The things we have all the time, we take for, for granted. Place in another context, you realize, yay, you are blessed, man. You, have, you are so advantaged in so many respects. And yet we are prone to murmur and complain. Now lift up your heads, O gates. I will release a teaching separately on complaint, but generally speaking, listen, complaint in the soul is the substitute for groan in the spirit. Where you should be groaning in the spirit over valid things. The enemy wants to fill that thing in your life with a carnal complaint about something in the natural and the complaint is rooted or flows from the unrenewed state of the soul. Okay? I would say, next time you are tempted to complain, look for something positive in the complaint, turn it into gratitude, and thank God. Right? Thank God. Okay? Thank God. Renee knows, complaint is illegal in my home. Ask the boys. I've been, I guess, here. I said, no, no. Stop right there. Turn it into Thanksgiving. Right? Don't allow the atmosphere in your, in your context to be one of murmur. Instead, fill it with gratitude. Lift up your heads, O oh you gates. The gates of thanksgiving. Let's get back to this point. I love this last statement. Gateways of the morning and the evening. Look at the scripture. Go to the next slide. The, the, the scripture is Psalm 65 verse 8b. It says you make the dawn and the sunset Shout for joy. The word dawn, now that's, that's New American Standard Version. The word dawn, you'll see a little uh, note on the side of the NASB. And it literally says, dawn is read as the outgoings of the morning and the evening. Outgoings means portals or gateways into the morning or into the, the evening. So the, 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 the New Revised Standard Version correctly uh, frames it as follows. You make the gateways of the evening and the morning shout for, for joy. Okay? So in this verse, if you think about it, it says, okay, here's a gate. And what's on the other side of the gate? An aspect of a day, morning or evening. It says, the gateway of the morning, the gateway of the evening. In other words, it's a gateway into another time zone. And the Lord said to me, in my spirit, your morning has come. The morning. And weeping might endure for a night, but when does joy come? It says joy comes in the 
morning. The morning is a very powerful image of new possibility, not so? I mean, when you wake up in the morning, no matter what you've experienced in the night, you wake up fresh, you wake up with new possibility, you should wake up with new hope. In fact, the Bible says, His mercies are new when? Every morning. Now, just that revelation alone, it says, is, not, is God rich in mercy? Yes, but it says every morning, He has a brand new download of mercy. His mercies are new every morning. So morning for me speaks of new possibility, new hope, right? Um, and this verse, Psalm 110, says the following. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power, in holy array, from the womb of the dawn. Your youth are to you as the dew. Everyone say, womb of the dawn. So the morning is issues forth from, an, from incubation in a womb. So it says, from the womb of the dawn. It signifies the birthing of something brand new with new joy. I want to prophetically declare over you. Some of you are in a prophetic season where something new is going to come forth from the womb of a new morning that God is about to break forth upon you. Time for you as you know it is about to change. In fact, for some of you, you are in your morning time and you don't even know it, right? You are still living in the weeping of your night when already prophetically it's a joy of the morning for you. Don't live in a season that has passed. Some people are stuck in the weeping of their nighttime, right? But live prophetically in the possibility of a brand new day. Each new day represents new possibilities. Whenever a new day comes into your world, there's always something new afoot. The psalmist says, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I will be glad in where? It. Everyone say it. This is the day. I'm, if, if, the, the way I read it, the way I see it in my mind, the psalmist is saying, every day is mine. Every single day. I'm not going to waste one day and not accomplish something definitive and purposeful in God. Even if I have to suffer my severest trial that day, my mindset will cause my trial to work something profound in terms of God's purposes for me. Like Vanola shared, even if it's going to be a day of process, where I am processed, <laughs> I know the outcome. The Thomas David says, there's not one day written in your book about me that you don't know full well. Right? Nothing is a surprise to God. So every day represents brand new possibilities. Lift up your heads. Oh, you gates. I'm saying in this context, lift up your heads. Lift up the mentality with which you approach every new season or every new day in God. And I like what it says. My people will be willing or volunteers, it says. Volunteer freely. The King James says, my people will be willing in the day of my power. In other words, in a brand new day, when you sense the womb of the dawn uh, breaking forth, and it's almost like there's like a youthfulness, a new vigor. Uh, dew is akin here to, to youthfulness. And wherever there's dew, there's growth, there's productivity. Who'd like your youth back? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their 
strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall walk, run and not be weary. They shall walk and not, they shall walk and not faint. Bless the Lord, Psalm 103. O my soul and all that is within me, bless his holy name. What does it say? Who forgives all of your sins. He heals all of your diseases. Third benefit, he renews your youth like the eagles. Hmm? You know, I'm growing old. But the older I get, the more vigor and fervor I want to have. I want to be like Caleb at 80 and say, give me this mountain. God's purpose. I don't want to get more lazy and more lethargic the older I get. I want to get more vigorous and more faster. Amen? So, Rita, you have a lot of purpose to do. Amen? In terms of God's will and purpose for your life. Hallelujah. In other words, be focused. Have a sense of zest, of vim. Have some vuma. Have some vigor in your step. Have some focus. Right? And all of these depict one whose head is lifted up because he wakes up every morning seeing the possibility of a brand new day in God. Amen? It's, it, it is sad to live or to be in the company of someone who looks at each day with no hope for the day. Right? The pessimist sees the negative in everything they say. Right? This speaks gloom and doom. But we are not optimists in terms of new age culture, as they see in terms of positive thinking. But we have a view of faith internally. No matter what we go through, we see godly outcome. Right? All my days are written in your book, the psalmist David said to the Lord, even before one of them comes to pass. Whenever you wake up in the morning, say to yourself, a new day, new possibilities. Even those two lines, a new day, new possibilities. Right? You know, Ruth woke up that day. She didn't know that Boaz was at the gate. She was doing business. There was, like, she was conducting a life affairs in the way in which she ordinarily or normally did it. But, what does Boaz's name mean? Come on. Swift. When you think Boaz, that's how I remember Boaz in my mind. When I read Boaz in the scripture, I literally do this in my mind. Boaz, this guy is sharp. This guy is quick. His name means fleetness, quickness. Right? And I want to encourage you. I think God is more zealous than what we are about his purposes for our lives. Hmm? You must, your excitement and your vigor must match God's view of the same. Concerning his, his will and his purposes for, for your life. Amen? And so I really want to encourage you. Be, be focused. Remember, why did Gideon turn back almost most of his army? Remember the water test when they lapped up the water? Those whose heads just hang down, sent them back. But those who, who leapt with heads up, vigilant, he used. Hey? So I want to encourage you. Heads up. Let me give you the heads up. You know we use this term? In other words, let me give you some foreknowledge. Let me, let me prepare you. 
Now, this, this phrase is going to take on new meaning for us. Let me give you the heads up. God's about to lift your head. (laughs) That's the heads up. Let me give you the heads up. If you lift your head up, God will be the lifter of your head. Amen. So I want to encourage you with that. Now, let's go on earlier. Gates or doors represent the person of Christ. Jesus Let me just say this. Sometimes doors and gates are used interchangeably in the scriptures. Later on I'll speak to you a bit more about doors at a later time. We're just focusing on the gates now. This message is taking longer than I thought. I thought it would be done in one session. But it looks like it will be three or four sessions. I really want to get to the head. Lift up what? Lift up your heads. All I'm doing now is talking about the gate context. Lift up your heads. Oh, you... Oh, you gates. And you'll see by next week, Sunday, when we get to the head, you'll see how all of these things make far more sense. Okay? But you cannot ignore the fact that Jesus himself said in John 10 verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be be saved. So he is the gate of the sheep. He says, I am the door. In another context, he said, I am the I am the gate. So the gate is literally an embodiment of the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It depicts the fact that if we are to lift up our heads, we have to lift up every expression of Christ-likeness in our lives. I want to encourage you with that. Become like Him in all respects. Lift up your heads, O you gates. If He is the gate, I've got to elevate and lift up every characteristic, every quality that is His has got to be mine. Now as he is, so am I and so are we. We're in this, in this world. So I want to encourage you, lift up your measure of, of Christ's likeness. Okay, last point. Lastly, gates represent openness to all to come in. Now this is a very um, serious point. Gates generally were closed at night. In the day they were open, but they were watched by gatekeepers, right? Who control entry and exit, uh, entry in, exit out of the place. But there is an open gate, listen carefully, an open gate. Just go to the next slide quickly before we do this. Look at this. Open gates depict the fact That the church is strong, so strong, and so immune to defeat by intrusion by foreign or alien elements, that its gates can remain open. It can invite men in because it is convinced of its power to transform. Right? Everyone say open gates. Right? So these gates must be open perpetually. Because the image of Zion, the church in the book of Revelation, uh, Revelation 21-25, the gates of the New Jerusalem, which is the church, it describes their gates. The gates will never be shut by day. And why? Because there will be no night there. Because only at night the gates were closed. So if you remove the night component, the gates will always remain open 
telling men outside, you are free to come in. In fact, and here's the thing, even if you are coming in with the wrong agenda, these, this culture is so strong, it will transform you. Try coming with a hidden agenda and you'll be transformed. That's so, that's so powerful, eh? <laughs> it's like when the Lord spoke this to me, and let me encourage you, our church is going through much presently on so many fronts. Battles are raging. And I want to encourage you. The Lord said to me, don't focus on the battle. Focus on strengthening the culture. Because any, any threatening element that seeks to undermine what you do will be neutralized because of the strength of the sons in the house. So sons, this is a passionate appeal as a father to you. Become so strong. Become so vigilant. Become so like Christ. Have your head so lifted high that we can keep these gates perpetually open. Now listen carefully. Uh, you know, I only see this night element being extracted as I speak. The Lord says, extract the night element. It says in Revelation, the gates are open by day. Why? There's no need to close it because there's no night. So if you remove the darkness, your gates can be open perpetually. And I appeal to you, even if you are in the night of your life, and there's no joy. I declare to you, your morning is already come. And even if you are in night, at least have a song. There are six references. Everyone say six. There are six separate references in the book of Psalms to having a song in the night. Songs are usually sung in the morning, publicly. But it's possible, even in your nighttime, to sing as though you exist in your morning. Right? So I want to encourage you, defy the devil. Defy the trying circumstance. And say, no, it's morning for us. There's new mercy, there's new day, there's new possibility. This is the day the Lord has made. I will be strong, I will rejoice, and I will be glad in the day that the Lord has given to us. In Isaiah 60 verse 11, your gates will always be open. Day and night, they shall never be shut. Amen? Always open. It speaks to the inviting nature. Everyone say, inviting. Uh, come on, do some prophetic action. Say, come in. Uh, open gate means we're not closing this to anybody. Come in, because whoever comes into this context, you will experience the culture and the power of this, of this house. Amen? Now, just go back one slide. Let me finish off with this. It hints at the inviting nature of the household of faith. Remember, all nations will stream up to her and say, teach me your ways. We dealt with that. Right? Isaiah 2, Micah 4. Now, here is a parable that I want us all to study this week. I don't know when I will talk about it. Probably in about three or four weeks from now. But please take the note down somewhere. Study this parable in Luke 14. You must study it. It's a parable of how there was a banquet and there were many people invited to the banquet. And the Lord painstakingly tells this parable to his disciples. And there are different classes of people invited. But at the time of the function, everybody canceled. But everybody gave a separate reason why they cannot come. I want you to decode the reasons. Please, this is your homework for this week. Think spiritually and think, what are the reasons why in that context they could not come to the banquet 
The master of the banquet, the Lord, was angry. He says, such great preparation has gone through, but they haven't come. And then he says, okay, never mind them. They're invited, they haven't come. He says, now the master said to the servant, go out then into the highways and the hedges. King James says the byways. The highways and the, the byways. And compel people to come in. That, he says, my house may be filled. And the Lord spoke this to me. I want to prophesy that there's going to come huge numerical growth to our local house. The Lord said to me, I'm going to fill the house. Everyone say, fill the house. But, and I'll speak to this on a separate occasion when we deal with the parable. I want to encourage us all, let's adopt a new mentality to the value of the house, to the priority of the house, and what God's purposes are here attended with the house. So our position is this, I will do everything in my power to invite people, and even do it literally, like to meetings, to invite people to the house. And I was gripped by the word compel in the Greek. I should have had the, the description up there. But the Greek word is anagkazo. Anagkazo. Right? Um, one of the guys from Ghana, I forget his name, that goes to Robert Oliver's church all the time. That bishop, what's his name? Dag Ewood Mills. Dag Ewood Mills actually got a book by the title. It's called Anakazo. It's the first time I heard the Greek word. I heard him preach this about seven years ago. Right? And I checked it this week in studying it. It means this. To invite, to entreat, to literally, it says compel. It means to constrain. Uh, Thea says it means to force. How is that? Forcing someone to come. The master was angry. He said, all this is prepared. And you tell me, all of these guests who gave invitations, they're not coming. He says, okay, God, he sends his servants out. Go everywhere. Go the main highways and even the side roads. Don't leave no road untouched. And simply compel anyone to come in. And the master says, because my house shall be filled. Right? My house shall be filled. And I want to encourage you. Tell your neighbor, lift up your head. Lift up your heads, oh you gates. Your gates are open. And I want to encourage you. Are you a draw card for others to come to this fellowship? I'll say it again. Are you an activating factor in others to come here? Right? If I invite someone and I say, Oh, why don't you well, consider coming to, to fellowship or coming to a meeting? If that person says, uh, Oh, Sean is there. No, no, no. Not coming. Sean is there. And maybe I'm just using, I'm just using, I'm just using as an example. What if his representation in the world is poor? He says, no, I can't come if that's the representation. He's in your house. So you want me to come there and if that's the result. Put bluntly, if someone says, oh, Sean, so how long has he been with you? Listen to all your teachings. Oh, that's the result of what you produce. When I say your gates are open, I'm saying become the invitation. Become the compelling factor. I'm not saying go out of your way and try and buy a gun now and say you better come to the Bible study because my pastor said, Anakazo. 
Anakazo, you're constraining you, you must come. You must. I'm not saying that. I'm saying your greatest, your greatest expression to invite is going to be the model of sun and a transformed life that you are. People say, oh, you go there. That's the, I want to come. No, you gate must elevate. Lift up your head, oh, you gate, lift up your representation so that you can, so the house can be, so the house can be filled. You must not be a repellent. You must be an attraction. <laughs> Amen? So I want to encourage you with these things. Apart from that, I also want to encourage you, do your best to invite others even practically to meetings. Use social media. I use it all the time. If you look at my Facebook wall, it's flooded with principles, biblical principles. Somebody wants to check my Facebook profile, they must see my representation. And I want to challenge you, how is your representation on social media? For those of you that do use it. Right? And it just takes, if I ask, let's say, if we're having something, all I ask you, just share, share it. Share it takes one second. Just click the share button and it's done. If you share something, it has exposure to your friends that are not my friends. It means what you're doing. I think if this guy was living in the modern day, this parable, if it was said in the modern day, I don't think Jesus was to go into the highways and the byways. Jesus would have said, go on to Twitter, go on to Facebook, go on to email, um, open the website and just invite anyone you can find. Right? I think we must, why don't you do this exercise? Try and modernize this parable. How will this parable sound like in a modern day context? Right? But brethren, hear my heart. Tell, repeat after me, the house must be full. I'm saying lift up your heads. God is saying banquets are prepared here. Feast days are prepared here. Food is no lack. Food is in greater abundance. And the Lord is saying go out into the highways and the byways. And I want to activate the sons. Build a house with me. I want to say that again. Build the house with me. Take ownership. Let's build this house. Do you know if this congregation doubles, let's say, if we have twice the number of people that are here now, when this place becomes small automatically. But do you know there will be spin-offs for everybody? Why? A sphere of association and relationship suddenly grows. You will develop new friends, new contacts that could advantage you in some way. I'm not saying grow the house for that purpose. I'm just saying there are natural benefits that come to the house being, to the house being, being filled. Amen? Right? Everyone say, anakazo. Compel, constrain. But more than you, what I'm saying, two things. Become the invitation by your lifestyle. And secondly, do active things to build a house with your father. Don't just let it rest squarely on me. Come on board and activate others in your highway. Because you live in some byway and some highway that I'll never go on. Okay? And activate and let the house be full. Repeat after me that the house might be full. And you know, it's not for numbers that we are solely focused on. We want this message to grow globally. Amen? And there are some people I've never ever met, but we are a huge blessing to them. Simply because through, through social media. So it's not about people. You know, Paul never saw anybody in Colossians. To the Colossians. He wrote a letter to them. 
And he even said in the letter, you've never seen my face. But Epaphras was Paul's son. And he was instrumental in, in, in founding that work and in ministering to them. Right? And so there are some people we'll never ever contact with, make contact with. But we can be a huge blessing to them. Uh, just go on. I'm not sure if this, that diagram is up there that I sent to you. Just go to the next, next one. Next one. Remember this diagram I sent to you? Uh, it's a medical condition. It's called drop head syndrome, a medical condition, also called chin on chest. And you know, when I saw the picture of this old lady, I thought, how can a person walk around like this? Eh? Chin on chest. muscles are, are so weak, right? Or the curvature of the spine. See the curvature of the spine? The spine is curved naturally the head droops. So the person's not, there's no rectitude, no righteousness, no standard in the person's life. And I want to encourage you, have this picture in your mind, but never ever let it be your position. You know what? Two things happen here. Uh, Renee uh, alluded this to me. The person can't swallow properly, can't eat properly. There's swallowing problems and breathing problems. And limited sight because the sight is, the perspective is only earthy, down. Right? So three things are severely impaired besides a host of others. You will, have not, you will not have sufficient capacity to assimilate truth, the word. The, the work of the spirit which speaks of breath will not be profound in your life. And your perspective will always be downward, earthy, and limited. Amen? So lift up your heads, O you gates. And be lifted up, you, you everlasting doors. Amen? Lift up your hands just for, for one second. Father, we pray your blessing over the house. We ask, Father, that these gates will forever be opened. That there will be such an inviting nature to the house. We will not relent. But we make a commitment that your house might be filled, that your house might be filled, that your house might be full, Father. Give us a desire. May we anakazo, compel others by our representation as sons. May people want to come because of our accuracy. I ask in the name of Jesus, Father, for a new dawn for every son. I pray no matter what night some of us might be, may we sing in the night. Because the dawn of the morning, the womb of the dawn is about to break forth. The gateway of the morning is upon us. And we will declare this is the day that our sovereign Lord has made. I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. I pronounce blessing upon everyone. I pray the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and brings no sorrow be your portion. May you be blessed coming in, going out, sitting down, rising up. I pray great grace and peace be your portion in the name of the Lord.